The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome. You know that I give you a second to come into the show. We know you're probably coming off of a call. You're probably coming off of a meeting. So, Wusa, take a deep breath because we need you in the learning space. We are here. We are live. Ian, John, and Doug, I will introduce them in a minute. Uh, all right. Welcome back. Welcome in. If this is your first time, let us know. But change your chat settings to everyone down at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen and tell us where you're tuning in from in the chat. Shout out to KC. You are first. Welcome back to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show. It is always a pleasure to come into your homes and your offices. Shout out Chicago. I see you. I see you, Chicago. Always repping. Chi-Town is deep right now. Uh, I don't know which one of you has the massive following in Chicago, but apparently they're repping. Uh, we're we're going to discuss effective strategies for selling in a tough economy right now. Let me introduce the folks that are in the room. Mr. John Barrows, our good friends, Doug Landis, and Ian Cognac. Welcome. What's happening? What's up? Yeah. If you're just joining us, put where you're tuning in from in the chat. Before we get started, if you're looking to level up in 2023, we are here to help with our Sell Better Daily Sales Show, of course, our membership with instant access to training and resources, and our corporate sales training for your team. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz or go ahead and scan that QR code that is on your screen. Probably the easiest way to do it. Becoming a member, that's the move. I want to thank our sponsors. We could not do this without Zoom Info. So make sure you check them out for all of your data management needs. This is the best data in the business. They guess guys do it right. You want to go check them out. Make sure you're checking out the best out there. You'll be surprised how they can help you win more deals, book more meetings with the right information. <laughs> Shout out to Zoom Info. We appreciate it. Uh, all right. So it's time. It's time for our daily drop. You know that we don't let you guys come into these things without something that will help you level up. Today, our daily drop is certainly going to change your demo game. Join us tomorrow as we deliver tactics for effective demos. Register for tomorrow's show in the link that is in the comments. That's what you want to do right now. As you know, we like to tailor these conversations to the folks that are in the room. So take part in this question. What are you, bro? Are you an alien? Are you an SDR? Are you an AE? Identify yourself immediately so we can tailor the conversation and make it meaningful to you. Today, we're here to consider how weary prospects get so weary, the dreaded pricing objection, and the thing that everybody is experiencing, this activities problem. What do we should, what should we be focused on that actually matters? That's what we're going to talk about today. John is going to talk about redefining your ICP in a moment. Doug, why are these things the most important topics to cover right now? Well, we, I mean... I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people on this call right now that weren't around the last time we went through this crazy economic uh, restructuring, if you will. And yeah. um, so it's been 14 years of super frothy, crazy success, nothing but up and to the right. You call somebody, you book a meeting, you close a deal. Now things are a little harder. There's new people involved in the conversation. Our conversations need to change. Our messaging needs, everything needs to change. Our whole approach needs to change. And uh, I think the the those of us on this panel right now have some experience because a lot of this is gray. <laughs> Ch changes everything, and that's what definitely causes us to make differences that cause different results. John, you talked about the value of reconfiguring your ICP. Explain why this is the step to start with. Yeah, I think you know. Look, when when COVID hit, it would really bothered me was when I saw a lot of people double down on activity, right? Because pipelines were empty and everything else. And so everybody kind of tried to speed up through COVID. I think you need to take the exact opposite approach. I think you need to slow way the hell down and reassess everything that you're looking at, specifically your clients. 
right? Because it's not just our IC. I've always been an advocate. I always think we've been lazy with ICP because we take a very basic demographic info and we start our list and we start hammering it. And I've always been an advocate of get detailed, right? Now it's essential. So it's not only our ideal customer profile, it's our customer's ideal pro pro customer profile. Because if yep. we might look at a customer and say, oh no, they're still good. But if they're selling into a market right now that's getting slaughtered, they're not good anymore. And and you and and I know we're going to move to messaging after this, but that's exactly why you have to shift your messaging based on who your new ideal customer profile is. And a really easy way to do this, by the way, is to go into your existing client base and dissect the hell out of who's doing well and why. That is the easiest way. And you should actually be so ingrained with your customers right now to learn what's working for them and try to help them because that's the least path of resistance to sell in a down economy is to existing accounts, but not just to sell into them, to learn from them and say, what's working? Why is it working? What What's the internal dynamics here that are making these things move? And then look for those in other companies. I think it's really important to highlight the difference in selling to your ICP and getting to know your customer's ICP. Doug said it, your ICP's ICP, right? That might have changed, might have been different. Let's look at some of these poll results. Not surprising, SDRs and AEs dominant in the room right now. Shout out to you for investing in yourself. Uh, all right, so we've established our new ICP. We know some of the nuts and bolts of what a successful deal might look like. Ian, what about effective messaging? needs to change in a harsh environment that's different from a great selling environment where things are thriving? Um, well, there's messaging for prospecting and there's messaging for proposal. And I think both needs need to change, but let's just keep it at prospecting. Um, it's easy if you know your ICP, you know the products and services well and the problems you solve to kind of put some generic messaging out there. We help X type of sales leader or service leader achieve why and it's going to be generic and maybe in a great economy that'll land if everyone has the same issues but what's different now is that every company has different challenges and issues and doug and i have talked a lot about this in the past but every message needs to be relevant and it needs to be personal to the people you're sending it to and to the companies they work for and i always say less is more right if you're if you're running and sending 100 messages prospecting you're getting two or three that convert to a meeting you're doing it the hard way you're doing it the wrong way yeah. i'd much rather send 10 or 15 and really do some diligence about the company and the people in there and what they care about what are they saying what is our company focused on and then map that back to how i can help them deliver upon their value proposition and the the success rate of booking that meeting and actually getting engaged is going to be exponentially higher because you've given some real thought into how you can help them. So a little more time spent preparing up front, a relevant and personalized message will go a long way in, in getting those meetings booked. Go ahead, John. You talk about relevance all the time. Relevant, but the, so yes, I think it takes a, a whole new meaning, but there's a way to do this too. And like when I say slow down, you know, going after a C-level executive right now, going after a VP right now, I mean, unless you are so fucking spot on with what their challenges are, good luck. And SDR, especially if you're an SDR or BDR right now, like in down econ in good economies, executives don't want to talk to SDRs and BDRs. In down economies, they definitely don't. So what can you do? You can reshape the landscape of our entire approach and unleash your SDRs on gathering insights at the ground level and go and flip the script. Instead of going top down, literally go bottom up 
and gather as much insight as you possibly can from the users, from the in, and yeah, do your research, look at 10Ks, annual reports, all that stuff, but talk to the people in the companies, gather that insight, then come with a perspective, and this is where Doug can come in, come with a perspective to the executive based on that knowledge. Not just like, hey, we help companies do this. No, 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 no. I've spent the past two weeks talking to your reps, reading through your stuff, talking to your customers, and based on that, here's how I think we can help because I know what your challenges are. I'm not taking a guess anymore. You have to teach them something new about their business. That's what I mean by relevant. You have to teach them about something they're not thinking about about their business. I'm smiling smiling big because John said to me when he hired me three years ago, show me something new. That was what he hired me. Go ahead. I got to throw a couple of hand grenades here under this discussion. The first is let's, you know, John, I, I totally agree with like, okay, talk to your customers, get to know your customers, customers, your customers, your ICPs, ICP. When you're talking to your existing customers, ask them what messaging is actually resonating with them. What's working? So ask, don't just try and guess, ask, try and understand like, what are they responding to and why? The other thing that's important to understand too, when it comes to messaging is like, just be really, really mindful of the words that you use. Do not go in this environment right now. You cannot go in and tell anybody that you know them and you know their world and you know their problems because you've done all this homework. You're Everything you're doing, all this research you're doing is to develop a hypothesis about what you think might be going on in their world. And it's because of your experience because you've talked to other people just like them in a hundred other organizations. And so now you have some credibility but you can never come at somebody as a buyer and say, I know you, I know your problems, I know how to solve them because we're just going to get defensive. Mm-hmm. It's super unlikely that you're knowing that. I find that a lot of people are making assumptions, but we also need to realize that we're seeing things through our own lens. John, on the prep for this, when we were talking about talking points that matter, one of the things you said is we need to pick our head up in SAS. What do you mean when you say this? Why are we blinded right now? <laughs> If you literally take one step out of SaaS and realize the world's actually normal, like this is like chicken little right now. Everybody's panicking, and but everybody I know who's outside of SaaS, they talk to me. They're like, "Dude, what's wrong with you people over there?" Like, yeah, I don't really understand. The jobs market's actually really good right now. Like, the economy's doing decent. Like, so what the hell's happening? And so I, I think that's why we need to take a breath, but also realize it. Look, SaaS eats SaaS right now. This is a challenging spot to be in right now because what happens is all these little SaaS companies, they eat off each other and then they blow up and then they start going outside. When you lose that ecosystem of SaaS not being able to eat on SaaS, the innovation slows down, everything else slows down. And so I think that's why you have to meet the moment right now with your messaging and not, not try to hide from it, but go into it. And you got to ask yourself, like, what value do I, going back to Doug's point, I think the best thing you can do right now is have a, have a customer advisory board and do a, a, do a webinar like this with your existing customers who are your existing personas. Okay. And just have your reps talk to them. Like, Hey, what's a day in the life look like these days? What's, you know, what, what message, when was the last time you responded to a prospecting email for crying out loud? What did it say? And what problems have changed? And what the problems problems have you to address that you were focused on six months ago? is most likely very different than it is today. And, What's changed? And, and then, why? and what you do is you do that interview. Here's, I'm giving everybody a structure that we train on. Do an interview. First of all, 
30 minutes of prep so the reps actually research on the persona so they're not asking stupid questions like tell me about your priorities but so do a little bit of homework have an hour-long meeting with your exist your three of the personas of your existing profile learn from them spend an hour afterwards crafting messaging based on that then send it back to the customers and say hey based on what you told us here's the messaging that we came up with would you respond to this if we sent this to you and have them say no that's dog shit," or no that's actually really good that's a bad question to ask and then execute your sequences or cadences whatever the hell you want to do ian i i gotta tee you up for this because we're talking in a sense i feel like we're talking into a uh experienced void if you will right some people that are on this right now they've only been in sales for x amount of time so the language that we need to start using that is empathetic where you said like we need to be very empathetic about what's happening we can't be tone deaf to what's happening what's a good example something that you might say that points to this unfortunate event that's happening and then how you can help how would you word something like that in a short message well if i'm talking to a cro for example in tech and i know that cro's right now are um seeing a dramatic decrease in reps hitting quota it's gone for like 50 to 40 percent in the past year something pretty big i'm going to say hey here's the recent state of sales report that shows percentage of quota went down from 50 to 40 percent i'm not sure if this has impacted you but if so now might be a time to consider leveling up love to hear if you're thinking about how to upskill in today's market and if this even impacts you in the first place Doug, or that's why you will say in the chat or to, or to modify that, you know, my hunch is this might be something that you're con concerned about, you're, yeah. you might be experiencing right now, but you know what? I don't know for certain. Let's just be really mindful again. It's like, hey, look, you know, Ian, you, you, we talk to CROs all the time. It's like a lot, most of them are are struggling, but not all of them. Right. Yeah. We have, yeah, that is the key. John's early point, earlier point about like making assumptions because tech is getting hammered right now. But to John's point, a bunch of industries out there that are still, still growing. Half a million jobs were added, you know, a, what a week ago in the jobs report, a half a million jobs are added. The government's like, what the hell are we doing with this recession when all these people are still landing jobs? I think one of the big things is just your tone. It, it really is like, I don't know if you're dealing with this. I don't want to assume anything, but if you are, would it make sense to have a conversation and see what, where, where we can help? So would it make sense? I'm not sure if you're dealing, I don't want to assume anything. These are all things you can say on the phone yeah. in your emails that'll not make you look like a, a jerk by making these assumptions. I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to assume anything is a like a big statement for a seller yeah. because in the past we've been able to make some assumptions based on what we know. I want to move on and then I want to talk about what it's like for people to deal with their first change because that's a big part of this conversation a lot of people in the room dealing with this kind of change for the very first time ever put a one in the chat if you are dealing with this change and you're kind of like uneasy about it i gotta know uh ian you had a win one of your clients wrote to a cfo and spoke specifically about the things that matter to them and we talk about specificity a lot can you break this down and talk about that deal yeah so just for context i coach aes i do group and one-on-one -on -one coaching with them and one of them told me they got a 3.5 million dollar deal and then that became the whole conversation is how to do it. And and he shared this with with me and I've uh, sanitized it for, for protecting the, the client and the company. But sure. the bottom line is this. He said every single month that the customer waits, it's going to cost them between 250 
thousand, six hundred thousand pounds of lost benefits. And this were these were numbers that the client came in. So the 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 fact is that when you're messaging at the proposal stage, you need to answer two questions every time. Well, number one, you need to get to the truth. Why do they need to do the deal? Why do they need to change? If you don't have that real information, you got to dig, you got to dig, and you got to dig, right? To get it. And that, I think, you might not have to do in an up economy. But the second piece of it is you need to answer the question, what happens if you do nothing? What is the right. cost of inaction? And then put a dollar amount on every month that you're waiting, you are losing this much money, X, Y, and Z. So that was an example of putting those two things that got presented to a CFO and a CEO of a company. And they said, this makes sense. Let's do the deal. Three and a half million dollar deals. So can I ask what you have to do when you're competing for funds and when people are scared to ask for big dollars? Can I ask you guys both right now? Um, what's the difference? Cause this is, I know, you know, me early career ROI analysis versus what you just talked about. Can we clarify that, please? Because I think there's a lot of reps who look at that and say, oh, let me do an ROI analysis. You get this and da, 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 da. And here's a nice little spreadsheet that shows you're going to save X amount of dollars every single month. Okay. What's the difference? So, so just think about that. ROI is return on investment, which is more focused on the solution. Once you have the solution in, in place, how are you determining the value of that solution? What Ian is talking about is focused more on the problem. And it's, I just wrote this actually in the chat. The, the reality in this environment is we need to be very, very clear about the problems that our customers are struggling with and also recognize the fact that, you know, when you've got a buying group, everyone's going to have a different interpretation of the problem. They may not see it as that much of a problem because it doesn't affect them as much. And so you as a seller have to get consensus and gain alignment on that singular problem that is going to connect everyone in that buying group. So it's not about ROI analysis, it's about cost of inaction and how does that impact, what is the cost to each person in the buying group if they don't all come together and identify, clarify, and solve the problem that they need to solve. And by the way, the problem, as I said, is not doing more with less. That is a cop-out, don't use that in your messaging, be very careful about that because it feels like, it, it just feels like you just didn't do any homework. The, it's that the then diagram. main difference, so if you think of, if you ever heard of prospect theory or Dan, Daniel Kahneman, he won a Nobel Prize for this, and it, it's basically what drives people to change, right? And, yep. and the research shows that people are two to three times more likely to do something because they don't want to lose what yeah. they currently have versus go after some kind of gain. So that's the difference between ROI. ROI is the gain. Cost of an action is what do you stand to lose if you don't take action? So that that's kind of a good way to think about it. And a quick point on what Doug said real quick is, is it's that Venn, think of the Venn diagram. You have all these different departments. You have to sit down and meet with all of them to figure out what that pain is, what that problem is. And then your job as a sales rep is to figure out where in the center of that Venn diagram is the is the is where everybody can agree. Because otherwise, you're, no, no, this is the problem. No, no, you have to be almost a therapist when you work with these uh, psychologists, when you work with these companies to pick, bring them all together and say, hey, can we at least all agree that this core right here is a problem for everyone? And if you can't do that, good luck with that sales cycle, because that thing's going to extend for months and months and months and months until you huh. can figure that out. You end up you end up losing to our number one competitor, which is the status quo. Yep. I mean, that's who you're all competing against. You're not competing against doing more with less. You're not competing against their competitor. Like you're competing yeah. against them. The the risk 
the the risk tolerance for everybody right now is so different than what it was six months ago. And so you come to me and all this great stuff that you're saying, if you don't demonstrate that you really get me, my desire and my willingness to actually advocate on your behalf to try and get everybody aligned can get, goes down to zero. More deals are lost to the status quo than they are to competitors. We've said that many times over, and I think what you're saying rings very, very true. Uh, John, we talked about short-term versus long-term goals. If somebody's dealing with this change right now, what do you think they should be focused on when it comes to strategy, short-term and long-term? And I'll launch this other question that I have for you based on John's step one. So let us know uh, how often you actually re-examine your ICP. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I don't think there is a strategy anymore. I, I, I think in this type <laughs> of an environment, you can't look at long-term strategy because things are changing so fast right now. And I, look, and I'm going to throw the, the grenade into it with the chat GPT and, you know, it's topical and everything else. Sure. But I'm not kidding. Last month when I saw what happened with chat GPT, I, I, like it, something clicked and I was like, holy shit, things are going to start moving at a pace that none of us have seen before, in my opinion, right now. And, and I, by the way, I went through the internet, like to Doug's point, <laughs> as far as, you know, graybeards here, like I graduated college and the internet was kind of a thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was like, what is this thing? So as we're cell phones, just right. start. <laughs> so, but that wasn't such a titanic shift now that, that where I think we're at right now. So I think right now, everything, you have to be agile and you have to treat everything as an experiment. Messaging as an experiment. You don't know what messaging is going to work right now. We think it's going to work, but you need to put together like your hypothesis on what that problem should be to your persona and start executing it in a very short, contained format so you can learn from it and adjust, adjust, adjust. Presentation of proposals. You need to really be dissecting when you won that proposal and you presented it. How did it go? Who did you present to? What was your messaging around it? What was the problem you were solving? And replicate that over and over. But don't just get stuck. Look, we all do what we're supposed to do in a lot of ways. We've all been stuck in this predictable revenue model where it's great. Hey, Salesforce did it, so we should all do it. We all need SDRs. We all need BDRs. We all need to go through this stupid demo process for everybody. We all, you know what I think? Stop that. Fold. Stop it. Throw it all out the window and, add, and look at your customers and say, there's no more linear buying process. This, it never has been. So meet the client where they are, but learn from them, not idiots like us quite frankly. <laughs> your, your best, no, your best resource is always going to be the prospect itself. So you got to be curious enough and unafraid to ask those questions. And all of this comes down to talking to the right people. It looks like many people have often gone through and checked their ICP out and re-examined re it. And a lot of people say not often enough. More people say not often enough than anything else. Go back and do that for a step one coming away from this episode right here. Uh, let's move into pricing because this is something I know that, let me know in the chat, put a two in the chat if you've gotten a pricing objection in the last, let's say two weeks <laughs> from somebody that you know, from somebody that you know has budget. Let me know right now in the chat, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of twos rolling in. Uh, let's talk about how we can use this to our advantage. Go ahead, Doug. It's a cop out. Look, if you haven't, if, 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 you haven't built consensus. If you don't demonstrate that you understand me and my problems well enough, if you haven't really gotten me to think about the cost of inaction and we're talking pricing and I'm pushing back, it's because A, I don't necessarily believe that this is really a priority that I want to solve. 
Ah. B, it's, a, it's I'm basically just trying to get through this so I can move on to other priorities that are likely more important. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's just, it's easy for me to just be like, oh yeah, right, it's too expensive. Budget's an issue. It's such a cop-out for everybody right now. I promise you this. I was t- just talking to the former CIO at DocuSign, who was a form, sorry, C- CISO, former CIO at United. And she's like, look, CIOs build insane cushion in their budgets. They know how to move things around, cut things to create, but they can create budgets. So when you're getting pricing objections, it's largely because there are a lot of things that you haven't done upstream that's gotten you to this point. Mm. Yeah. And I, w- I would, I would just, who's taking the orders versus giving the orders? There you go. You're talking to people taking orders and they're told they need to slash budget by 20%. They're going to their current vendors and saying, hey, for this renewal, drop it 20%. Yes. Got to oh, yeah. stop out. You're in reactive mode versus the, talking to the people who are giving the orders that can move things around, that can reallocate funds, that can prioritize projects. If they believe it's going to help them with what they care about right now, believe me, they'll find money. But you have to be talking to people who can find money and who actually can give the orders. So sure. it really means going higher and going sooner. So you don't get to the end of this sales cycle and realize, oh, wait, my person, I, I true story, one of the top reps at Salesforce, one of my close friends, I won't name names, but he said his quota every single year. And there was a deal. I, I reached out to him a few days ago to see how he finished the year. And he tells me that he missed it for the first time in nine years. What do you mean? What happened? And he said, I, I had a $4 million deal on the table. Everything was good. And I was told by my champions that um, they have a budget freeze and they couldn't do anything. I'm like, okay, who is your champions? And he tells me where they were. I'm like, who's giving the order for the budget freeze? He said, well, the COO and the CFO. I'm like, okay, did you talk to them after that order was going? Nope, we couldn't get to them. They wouldn't talk to us. There's your problem. If we had kept them in the loop, if we had engaged early, if we'd agreed to go back to them with the proposal, yeah. had negotiations, we working at, at that level when it's kind to actually show pricing, they could have flushed that out and probably negotiated. But at this point, they were just throwing stuff out, trying to give discounts and stub billing and quarterly billing. None of it mattered because you cannot talk to the people that can say yes. So that is always, I mean, in good and bad times, you've got to be presenting to the people that actually can approve funding and reallocate funding. And I think that's where most people fall short is they're in their comfort zone and they're not comfortable talking to the executives now who are actually in charge of really moving things around Go ahead, Doug. Hey, Ian, question for you. A lot of people here, I would imagine, go, well, how do I get to the CFO or the COO if I'm being held back from my champion? If the champion is basically the the messenger to the CFO and the COO, how do I get to them so that I can anticipate the things that might likely come down the road, i.e. some sort of budget freeze? I mean, there's a couple strategies, but fundamentally, you have to be asking questions that they can't answer. You have to be looking at, you know, things that the company is trying to do and understanding like the direction and the strategies. And if they're just in their department and they're in their silo, they're not going to be able to answer that. Like, this is going to help you with X, Y, and Z. If your if your hypothesis relates to the overall health of the company, you need yep. to be talking to the people that it impacts most. That's kind of one one thing. So ask questions. The second thing is use your champion. You're not trying to go above around them. Say, here's why I want to meet with your CFO early. It's really critical because there's you're competing for funds. They're competing. If we get them involved, if we get their fingerprints on this, if we get what's top of mind for them early, and we tailor this solution for them, 
it's going to help your chances of getting this approved. So make them an advocate, empower them to be successful and get them comfortable so they don't look bad or they don't think they're going to look bad in front of their boss. So totally. them as a partner and use them to get in front of the right execs. Two things you just said. One, anticipate what's likely going to happen. Look, to your teaching, you've got to teach our customers how to buy this, and you, which means we're letting them know we're likely going to have to take this up to the CFO and COO. Let's get them involved in the conversation earlier because the last thing that we want, if you're the champion, that means you... I don't necessarily love champion. I like mobilizer, but it means you've got you've got clout, credibility, and 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 access to all of the right people. And now it's a matter of do you have the right level of willingness to actually pull the right people together to have this conversation? You know, if if you have that person, then you need to help them understand CFO and COO have to be involved in this conversation. Let's get them involved early in case we find ourselves in a situation where something comes out of out of left field at the eleventh hour. And if they're a good mobilizer, read the Challenger customer if you haven't yet. This whole Step. thing about Amen. activate mobilizers, the whole book on it. But if they're a good mobilizer, the way you know if you're working with a champion mobilizer is they're willing to put you in front of power and they're willing to do it earlier. If they're not, you've got bigger problems. So if they're willing and they can. And they, yeah, yes. If they're really the like, oh yeah, I've got this. And then like you're like, cool, pull together a meeting. They're like, well, no one no one responded. You're like, okay, point. you got no power, dude. That's right. person. I got yeah. two real quick points. Willing and able. <laughs> two quick points. You get pushed to who you talk like. If you talk features, functions, and shit like that, you're going to stay down here. If you talk like a CFO, they're actually going to want you to be up there. So learn how to fucking talk like a CFO, right? Understand that language it's a different language than we're used to in sales that's one the other is and i'm going to debunk the whole budget thing a hundred percent with one very easy example microsoft they laid off ten thousand people do you think that was for budget reasons they invested 10 billion in open ai you tell me that you tell me those ten thousand layoffs were for budget reasons shut up I totally. Ten, what's what's that going to save them? I don't know. Like a like a, a couple million or something. I don't know. Like billion. You know what a billion versus a million is, right? Everybody, it's eleven days versus thirty-two years. That's the difference between a million and a billion seconds. Eleven days, thirty-two years. They laid off ten thousand people, and they invested ten billion. 10 billion. There's budget there. You just have to go find the people that can reallocate it and you have to talk like those people and stop talking like a sales rep looking for a commission check. So I want to talk about how share lines in the room typically respond to budget objections and I want to give some alternatives to it. The problem that I think many salespeople have is that they default to the give when budget objections come. John, you're notorious for saying that gives are not always the answer. We always want to give what we can, but they're not always the answer. And I want to give you a 20%, a 50% discount just to get something over the finish line in a down economy sets a bad precedent. And I can see your spine tingling right now. So I'm just going to open that door and let it all come out, buddy. <laughs> I think one of the saddest things a sales rep could ever do is proactively discount. And I look, I understand discounts are part of the game, okay? But when you have done your job as a sales rep and now you're panicking because your pipeline's a little empty and you've got that one deal that you probably have done a decent job and they're probably going to go with you and all of a sudden you fire off that stupid email 
that says, hey, I know you were probably going to move forward in a couple of weeks, but if you go off today, you know, I'll give you an extra 10%. You literally just lost all credibility. You lost everything. You turned yourself from a nice, cool, little trusted advisor to a little shit sales rep. And now I'm going to take advantage of you, by the way, because now you gave me a discount before I even ask you. what's going to happen now when I ask. So look, here's a tip for people. Ch change the mentality around discounting. Don't take the word discount out of your vocabulary 100%, okay? and change it to these two words, flexibility and creativity. We can get creative with our pricing. We have flexibility with our pricing. And usually that comes in the form of logged. So you want to understand, again, like a quick example here is a client said to me, John, we don't have budget for this event. Like we want your training, but your training blows out our budget for the event. And I said, okay. And that's scary. Usually it's like, oh, you don't have budget. So what's the number? Oh, uh, can we do that? And so what I said was, I said, okay, well, what's the problem here? He's like, John, you know, I got all these people coming in and, you know, I, I, it's an event. So I got to have dinners and all this. And your budget takes away half of that. So I can't even have the event. And I said, okay, well, it's for the event, right? That's the budget problem. Yeah. Now, mind you, I kept saying event, right? The event is the budget problem. He said, yeah. I go, okay, well, and I did ask. I said, what's the number for the event? He goes, 10 grand. I go, yeah, I'm not going to give you everything that you're asking for for 10 grand. <laughs> but what if I did this? What if I gave you 10, what if you paid 10 grand out of your event budget and then we settled up on the rest of the budget over Q2 and Q3 and you could just kind of amortize that because I don't really care when we get paid. I just care that we do. That's flexibility. And he's like, hadn't thought about that. That makes sense. Yeah. I was like, all right, cool. You win, we win. You get your 10 grand budget from the event. I get my 30 grand. You get the, the thing that you're looking for. Everybody's happy. But if you don't have this creative we can get creative. We can, we have flexibility. If you have, if you have a discount mentality, you are going to get abused right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is an economy where people are going to take advantage of that. I want to move to activities that people should focus on right now that are actually yielding results. Uh, Doug, one of the things that you talked about, and I think Ian, you had a lot to say about business cases. So I'm going to come to you after this, but Doug, you said that one of the biggest challenges right now are teaching our mobilizers, as you refer to them. Uh, teaching our mobilizers to sell internally. These people have a hard time selling their own products to their own ICPs. How are right. they going to sell my product or my service to my ICP internally? How do we solve for this, Doug? That is, that is, a, great, that is a great question. By the way, I, something I want to comment on, on John's last point is, you know, like at the end of the day, part as, as sales professionals, our job is to earn our customers or prospects' business, mm. right? And the reality is, is when you get to a, po a certain point where you feel like, you, you, you checked all the boxes, you've got cost of inaction, you've got the mobile, got your mobilizer and everybody's all on the same page. It's okay to ask, have I earned the right to, to move forward? Have I earned your business? Have I done enough to earn your business? Is there anything that I'm missing? When you, when you become a professional seller and you start using that language, then guess what? The discount conversation doesn't really come up because we're having a business conversation. It's not like you're selling me a piece of software, which automatically I'm going to default to asking for a discount for. Now, when it comes to your like your champions, your mobilizers, James, you, you're so good at this hosting business. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, this when it when it comes to teaching them how to sell, there's there's really two parts to this. One, you want it, you want you want them early in the journey to collaborate with you in the process. So you're teaching them how to sell already in the very very beginning. As you're looking for information, as you're looking for things for them to go extrapolate from their constituents or from their business, 
that's already starting the selling process. Fundamentally, what you're really doing then when you get down to it, when, when it comes time to negotiating or you're getting everybody in the room, I tell you what, I'm not letting the mobilizer have that conversation with everybody else in the room without me. Because you and I are doing this together. This is not, I'm doing this with you and you're going to turn around and take this internally to everybody else. Because the reality is there's a greater chance of failure, which also means failure for you. Because if you, if this project matters to you, it matters to the business. And so I like, I'm here to work with you on this to make it successful. One of the techniques I picked up from John and Leslie are one of our trainers, Leslie Douglas is you can, you don't necessarily need to be in the room sometimes, but you need to be available to that person so that you can tackle objections and be available to answer any random curveballs that might come their way. And I love that technique. Or you also want to facilitate the discussion to ensure that we're all trying to solve the same freaking problem. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, you know what? You know, you know how, how much co money companies pay for third parties to come in to help facilitate discussions at the executive level? We do it all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Ian, I want to pivot to you because you said something when we were prepping for this and talking about the things that matter most in activities. You said, here's an action that will change everything about your deal. Build a business case for every deal. I think we deprioritize certain deals. Why do we do this for everything? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say every deal. It depends okay. on the return on the size of the deal, right? If it's out on deal for a couple of licenses, you wouldn't necessarily do that. But I think for any large deal as you define it, um, a couple things. Number one, Doug mentioned this earlier and I want to triple down on it. People, even if they agree that maybe this is something that will help them, are they willing to go to their boss right now in a risk adverse environment and defend it and fight for it? People are going to fight for fewer things. They're going to fight for what they really, really want. So that's something that I think is a little different now is, is even if they think it's nice, it's a nice to have versus a must have. People are only going to ask for big money for the must have. So that's yeah. the first thing that yeah. it's important for. Um, so that's what your business case needs to revolve around is, is this a must have? Why is it a must have? What happens if we do nothing? And that's why I wanted to show that example from, from you, Jit, earlier, because it clearly spells it out as a must have for yeah. that deal. Um, the second thing that I wanted to to call out that again, Doug steal my thunder here is 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 you're it's not us and you on the other side of the table. It's us together versus your company and, and other priorities. So your your mobilizer, you need to be working with them on the same side of the table and empowering them with what they need. So when you build a business case, it's not for you to justify your solution. It's for them to justify their solution to their CFO. So it needs to be, if you are fortunate enough to have a business value team or a value engineer, it needs to be positioned as this is going to help you get this approved by showing the ROI, by showing the cost of an action, by showing X, Y, and Z. It's going to help you increase your odds. And that needs to look like their product, not yours. So putting it on their template, putting it on their business case form, it's all about helping them sell it internally. And I think it's just a different way of looking at business cases. We got, we got, go ahead, Doug. And just to, just to add on that, I, I just put this in the chat. One thing you got to be really mindful of is the, the, the pain of like the pain of the same must be greater than the pain of change. The change is the piece that we all get caught up on. Like, so like, okay, so the cost of inaction has got to be so much greater because change is hard. And right now change is even harder because I've got to go up 
up the, you know, I got to go up the totem pole to get everybody on board and then validate or prove in some way that I can actually drive behavior change and get the real value out of this solution that we think we're going to get. And it's, we have to be really, really, really mindful of that. I'm loving, I'm loving this, John. I know you probably have things to add, but we have five minutes left and I have to get this out of you because I think this is important because it's counterintuitive. When I said, what's the thing that you would tell everyone to do right now? You said, talk to as many people as possible. Yep. And even though sometimes we feel like this is a waste of time, why should we talk to as many individuals as we can? And what yes. kind of individuals? Especially if you're a leader right now. If you're a leader right now and you're not talking to your customers, if you're not talking to your partners, if you're not talking to your prospects, you're out of your mind. Because the amount of insights that'll that'll you'll get from those conversations and you never know what's gonna come from them. Like, oh yeah, you know what, you need to go talk to this person or whatever. But just the the feet on the street, because so many executives sit so high up here and they have the conversations with other executives. You need to get down and dirty and figure out what's happening on the ground floor. You need to go talk to people and learn what's happening so you can change your messaging, so you can change your approach, so you can be agile more. You're not going to learn that by putting out a survey to everybody. You're not going to learn that by talking to your other you know, executives that you're going to get into a room and drink really nice wine with. Like You're going to learn that from the people who are getting their ass kicked right now or people who are out there talking to people getting their ass kicked. So that's why you need to be out there right now. If you look at my calendar, there is very few openings on my calendar right now because I am talking to prospects. I'm talking to customers. I'm talking to friends, families, fools. It doesn't matter because think about it. Think about the last time you reached out. I mean, there's so many people that I'm going through my list right now and looking and saying, oh shit, I haven't talked to that person in years. I should, first of all, I need to talk to them. Second of all, I'm probably going to get some insights about from their perspective. And I've done five of those conversations today. Two tactics though, the things that go back to what we need to, from a messaging standpoint. Oh, and by the way, that's going to help you with your messaging. If you don't know the decision criteria and how they're evaluating vendors, you lose. The problem is, is most of your pro most of the people below the power line don't know those criteria either. That's what you can use to actually reframe the conversation and help them make the make like because they're going to say, "Oh, we're going to make this decision on very basic things." No, no. What about this? And what about that? And how important is this? The beauty of that is, if price isn't number one, you have a chance. You have a chance, right? If it is number one, get out of that conversation as fast as possible. And then the uh, the other one is understanding the impact of the problem. And if that person that you're talking to doesn't know the impact, here's a very quick last tactical thing I'll say. When somebody's, we always do the, hey, when do you want to be launched, right? When do you want to go live with this? And it's call it March 1st. And then we reverse sell it. And we're like, okay, well, it takes two weeks to do this and two weeks to do that. So you, if you want March 1st live, we got to go today, right? Type of thing. We're all good at that. But I beg you to ask the question very simply, hey, just out of curiosity, what's the impact of the business if we don't launch on March 1st? Just wondered. Because there's two answers to that question. Real fucking impact, where holy shit, if we don't do this, we're going to like lose out on whatever. Or, well, we'll just kind of keep doing what you're doing. And if you get that answer, you're either not talking to the right person, or I would not forecast that opportunity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's a difference in your pipeline, in your forecast. We've talked about that many times. Lots of things can go in your pipeline, but what ends up on your forecast really matters. Uh, Doug, how can people follow you, connect with you? Where should they go? I mean, I, I, I live on LinkedIn. Just follow, I'm just Doug Landis on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. I, I, I'm not a, t I'm not a Twitterer. I'm not a, <laughs> a Twitterer. A Twitter. I, I said Tic Tac. I don't even, I don't, I don't get all that shit. I don't care. Find me on LinkedIn if you want to have a real business conversation. Otherwise, come join me for a wine event in San Francisco or LA. Nice. Ian, where should people go? Follow you, connect with you. What's up? I'm going to Doug's wine event. So just find me there. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Let's see. Well, I'm in LA too. So LinkedIn is good if you want to actually talk or engage. Uh, if you just want to follow my content, you can go to my YouTube channel. It's Ian Koniak or my website, uh, untapyoursalespotential.com and nice. learn you know, how I can support you further. Uh, that's amazing. JB, uh, tell them where they can go to get that free sales consulting. Yep, John Ambarrows. Uh, I've actually gotten off of TikTok because fuck that platform, but uh, Instagram is fantastic. And uh, oh, the short-lived. Hey, then. Yeah, screw that platform. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll answer any question on Instagram. Or obviously, LinkedIn, but uh, Instagram is actually the fastest way to get some any type of free advice anybody wants. I'll answer any question there. Yo, you think he's bullshitting, but he's not. Reach out to him on Instagram. He will respond to everybody. I want to thank you guys for coming out and investing in yourself. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at sellbetter.xyz. Make sure you check out our new website at sellbetter.xyz. And make sure you make somebody smile today. If you don't do anything else today, get out there and make somebody smile because it'll make their day and in turn, it'll make yours. We'll see you tomorrow with another stellar guest to help you sell better. Thanks for coming, guys. Right on. Thanks, everybody. Great seeing you guys.